On this episode of AV Week, we talk fiber. Should we be using it more? Is it good for you? AV in cars. What it means to our industry and how their problem solving can help ours. And a VIX's article on education, experiential, or is it really more about data acquisition? This and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 367. Know your numbers. Recorded September 7th, 2018. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Christie Digital and by Bayan. Hey, everybody, and welcome to AV Week, your source for news and information in the AV integration industry. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Tim has so graciously offered me the seat today as he is in Cedia out there on the left coast covering the Cedia Expo. We'll hear lots about that in the forthcoming days on our, on our uh, webpage. So check that out. There'll be lots of interviews, lots of product stuff that they're doing some really interesting things this year. All right. So to that end, uh, we, as you know, the show is about the news and information and we bring on a, our, our smart and talented guests to talk about the news and the, the technology and sort of give insight into what's going on. Uh, to help me do that today, I have two fine gentlemen, and I use that word loosely. Uh, they are Mike Tomei. He is the principal at Tomei AV Consulting. How are you, sir? Great, George. Thanks. Uh, also a regular on EdTech here on AV Nation as well at times. Yep. Uh, and also joining us today is an old friend, Leonard Suskin. He is senior system designer at Spectra Audio Video Design Group. How are and you, I sir? I am delighted to be here, George. Thank and we're delighted to always. see you. We are always delighted to see you, Leonard. Always. All right, well, let's get on with the stories here so we can get through this show. Uh, first story is from Commercial Integrator, the video over fiber revolution. No, this is not our friend Kellogg trying to convince you to keep your idle hands idle. Uh, this is about putting in our light-based fiber systems over, say, networking. Uh, it's something that has always been on the fringe of what we do, especially especially in the resi world, but even in commercial, you don't see it as often. Uh, I know I come from the pro AV staging and live event stuff and fiber's only just making it into that because of course, what do we do? We go with what we know. We know what we can rely on to work every time and not give us headaches. But fiber seems to be, and in this article, the advocacy is for the idea that it will give us those high bandwidth HD, beyond HD, beyond HD, uh, and 4K resolutions. Uh, Leonard, I'm going to start with you. So first of all, do you, is fiber part of the infrastructure that you have to deal with in consulting and designing these AV systems now? I will say that it is always almost there. And I'll say that, believe it or not, I am seeing less call for it today than I did even a few years ago. So why do you think that is? Well, one thing is that fiber goes far. So we would sometimes for, in a large building, large campus, you want to get any video anywhere. You run fiber from the basement all the way up. You run it all the way down. You have your backbone. 
these days, that's all Ethernet. You're all going to your nearest switch, to your next switch hop. You have connectivity throughout a space. And unless being completely uncompressed, unless the amount of bandwidth is really a requirement, it's easier to send H.264 or similar over the network end to end, you have at least a gig everywhere, um, you know, with the standard converged network architecture that, you know, is there already outside of us. The one exception that we, believe it or not, just today we're talking about here is USB 3.0. Hmm. Um, USB 3 over copper does exist. It's expensive. Um, if you have like a thousand dollar USB three um, camera, you're going to need a twelve hundred dollar copper extender to extend that signal. <laughs> and you know the active um, fiber ribbon cables are probably a cheaper and better option. And that's the one spot that I'm seeing more of it. Straight up video, we're seeing HD base T and we are seeing um, some form of compression, be it H264, JPEG 2000 or whatnot. And now, Mike, let me, let me, Leonard has discussed that, you know, maybe we don't need that high quality of video, at least right now in some of these installations. They're not asking for it, nor is it being really necessary. But you work a lot with education and that experiential education thing that we'll, that we'll get to an article in a little bit in this show about. <clears throat> that seems to me that would require some of that higher definition and the ability to transport, say, live streaming stuff. I think that um, I, I don't typically. So, yeah, I do a lot of work in the education field. Um, that's my, my main field. I don't do a lot of work in the broadcast world or um, production houses, that sort of thing. I, um, so I don't, I don't really feel that in the education world there is that need for that. Um, uncompressed video. Uh, like Leonard was saying, you know, we can uh, get away with uh, some compression over the using the AV over IP type uh, uh, designs these days, especially in education, and get what we need. I don't, I don't really specify a lot of fiber myself either. Um, like I said, I don't work in broadcast or uh, kind of high-end video production uh, where it's, you need that, that uncompressed video to make its way over a cable. Um, and most of the boxes and devices that I use uh, or specify for education or corporate projects uh, rely on copper connections. And I'm trying to reduce the amount of boxes I'm putting into designs. I don't want to put a bunch of fiber converters all over the, the design. And then we have increased our boxes by you know double and increased our chance of something dying by double um, in that system. So um, well, let, let me ask you that, though, because then you're saying, are you going native category cable with boxes that just input? There are no adapter boxes in your systems for category five, category six, category seven cable? No, I mean, I guess it depends on the, the system. So there are definitely um, I'm using, you know, copper twisted pair extenders mm. when I need them, you know, HDMI extenders, things like that. So you have a transmitter and a receiver on each end so that, you know, you have your boxes there. But um, the so many of these. The HD-based T ecosystem is also 
very, very mature in terms of copper products. You have your scaling receivers, your scaling transmitters, your auto-switching transmitters, your transmitters that carry audio, your transmitters that carry USB or IR extension. And with the network stuff and also with the fiber stuff, you don't see as much. You don't see the all-in-one with an amplifier built into it also. And also, I think to Mike's point, we in the AV world can fall in love with uncompressed video. And when I was working for a pure consulting house, we always said, we don't want compression. We don't want chroma <laughs> subsampling. We um, But there's too much green in all that video, so you need chroma subsampling. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And <laughs> my first question to a client is, what are you doing here? What are you looking at? And it's not, oh, we're looking at a laptop. No, not, not even that. What is the content? You're, what's the picture? Is it, I mean, if it's education, is this education as in there's going to be a PowerPoint slide with four bullet points? Is this education as in we're in engineering school and you're going to be looking at a highly detailed technical diagram? We're a medical school and you're going to have to be looking at a CAT scan or PET scan or mm. some other three-letter abbreviation scan that you're going to need to see fine gradations of color. Except for cases like that, which are still edge cases or niche cases, we see a lot more of, I want to see my pie chart, I want to see my PowerPoint, I maybe right. want to see my spreadsheet. If you're compressing that, you know, JPEG 2000, if you're compressing that even H264, 265, nobody's going to notice. And especially so, when they're using Zoom or Skype for conferencing. I mean, right. you can have great uncompressed video r right up until you hit Zoom. And then that's <laughs> the end of that. You know, I mean, so it's, uh, um, so do you really but, need it? But we so always me, think that way. We're purists. Well, let me ask you one question, though. On the purist side, fiber still has this impression or at least this, I can't think of the right word, but people believe that it's more difficult to deal with. And it's not necessarily true. I know that sounds like marketing hype, but it's not because the modern fiber is a little bit more malleable. You can get better bend ratios with it. You can terminate it without having to have two guys in oxygen suits and a clean room. Right. Right. Um, true. But there's still that. Is there a knowledge gap? I mean, I think even Avix's training doesn't mention fiber nearly as much as everything else. There's, I could um, be wrong. To be quite honest with you, there's a knowledge gap with copper. Well, right. yes. Exactly. Because, <laughs> and, and this is a side note, is that we in the AV industry, I hate the word wrong, but let's just say that we terminate copper in a non-standard, weird way. Nobody else crimps a male plug onto a category cable. Right. Everybody else punches it down and uses a pre-terminated jumper for the last bit. And we can't even do that right. <laughs> or at least not like normal people. And yeah, with fiber, like with anything, we, as an industry, I think you have a very good point there that we get scared of it. Because I can have somebody sitting next to me who has terminated 8,000 
um, category cables and done it wrong and done it strangely, but still done it and it worked at the end of the day <laughs> and has maybe terminated like four copper cables. So, right. I mean, four fiber cables. So yes, yeah. we, need, we, need, we need to learn. We need to train people on it. We need to certify on it. I, and I've never taken the CTSI. I don't know what's on the CTSI these days. CTSI maybe should include terminating um, fiber. I agree that it's not nearly as ubiquitous as, say, copper and how to do all that stuff. Um, it's just right. an interesting side point. But uh, let's, let's move on to the next story because it's actually related, but very interesting take. Now, in the past, we've always said that the transition or the technology flow often was subverted about, what, 10 years ago with the introduction of the iPhone and the iPad and the iTunes and all that from home to the business because they wanted the same kind of feel and flow that they had at their home. And now E-Times in an article saying, quote, AV in 2025, network cost outstrips AI computing. Now, let me make a note here. AV actually in this article is for autonomous vehicles. But the article goes on to talk about how two things, two major things in here, really. One, that networking, as in an Ethernet network, is probably the best delivery system for everything going on. But that also includes something called a very strange technology called HD-based T. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't been paying attention, one of the reasons Samsung bought, of course, Harman and AMX is they wanted those technologies that Harman had. Um, but as well, HD Base T has been made a huge push in the last couple of years into automotive. And my question on this, and I'll, I'll start with you, Mike. Do we have people coming in in these very fancy cars saying, has that shift gone from the home to, you know, it works like this in my car and that's the thing that I want it to work like here? I, so I mean, I hear that a lot with people saying, uh, you know, in boardrooms or uh, classrooms saying, well, you know, my Apple TV works like this at home. Why can't I just throw it in here? So I get the home thing, but not as much as the, the car thing, but I think it's, I think it's a huge market now. Um, I really, when I read the story, I started thinking about my mind immediately went to GUI design because of touch panels and cars. And, um, you know, people in the past were dealing with touch panels in conference rooms or classrooms. Now everybody has a touch panel in their car. And um, so I could see, um, you know, people really understanding good and bad GUI design because of what they use in their car. Um, so coming into our installs and they would immediately notice a, a bad, um, uh, you know, a bad uh, GUI design in a classroom or a conference room, something like that. So I could see that happening um, big time. And, you know, when I read this article, I actually um, thought of a story that I have from uh, 2015 at the Infocom show. Mm -hmm. I went to a, a Harman consultant party and um, some JBL bigwig got up on stage. And he actually said to all of these consultants out here, you know, we don't make much money off of the uh, pro AV. We make most of our money off of automotive AV or automotive audio. And uh, I thought that was kind of odd to say to a bunch of consultants standing there, you know, <laughs> hoping that they spec uh, JBL stuff. Um, but uh, that, that, that was really surprising to me that he said it. And, um, and then all the purchases in the following years that um, Harman made and Samsung of Samsung and that sort of thing. You know, it's, um, it was really telling how much money they make off this market. Yeah. Well, I mean, to then Leonard, it's beyond say the GUI 
and the way that things flow in a car for someone and they will sort of want that influence happening. Maybe not so much now, but you can see it starting. You get those, like when we were in Amsterdam for, you know, Integrated Systems Europe, those taxi cabs, if you've seen them, they've got those giant screens and everything's automated. But those cars are very simply complicated, I like to say, right? The network and what it's doing is fairly straightforward, but there's a lot going on. A lot has to be delivered very quickly. And I think it's a microcosm, at least I have this thought, that it's a microcosm of what we need to start getting at, as in, all these complex systems, all this IoT stuff that we're starting to incorporate needs to have a management and flow system that works almost as efficiently as a car that will be able to deliver me my video for the kids in the back seat and also deploy the airbags or put the brakes on when it needs to. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to you because you know, I know you and I have had long conversations about these kind of things in the past. Can we learn something from the automotive debate about Ethernet versus other proprietary systems delivering this network. The audio. Yeah. So what? It's very interesting because this um, discussion about um, Ethernet and cars, and the discussion we just finished having about fiber, are in some ways mirrors of the same discussion. In that we're not discussing necessarily the payload entirely. We're not discussing all of the sexy stuff, we're discussing the infrastructure and we're discussing the stuff that the stuff rides on. And we've talked about, um, you know, Ethernet, HD base T. Um, in this article, they did not talk about um, the other thing that's come up with cars, which is AVB or audio video bridging, right. um, which um, Actually, Bill, but to that end, if you had read through some of the links, AVB and TSN are mentioned extensively in yeah. other articles referencing this. Yeah. Right. And as is HD based T auto, which I'll have to admit was actually news to me that HD based T is moving into the automotive realm. Hmm. And yeah, there is something to learn there. And it's interesting to see this whole subset of the networking world, just as we have hours congealing around audiovisual, there's a whole parallel thing congealing around AV autonomous vehicle. And in a car, just like an AV, there are some things that have to be timed very precisely. There are some things that best effort is probably fine. Um, if it's a sensor in your engine, all of those sensors, I mean, this is like lip sync on steroids. It has to be precisely locked together. If, as you said, it's streaming the movie to the backseat for your kids to watch, maybe that's more of a best effort thing. Um, I find hmm. it very interesting to see how different parts of the industry and different industries are handling the same questions, which are, how do we get the bandwidth we need? Um, how do we get it low cost? And automotive also has another factor that we don't, which is space and weight. This is one luxury we have that they don't in that if we need a giant managed network switch with um, some more processing power into it, and you need a giant fan to cool it. 
you know, housing that giant fan, running the giant fan, carrying it around, et cetera, isn't as big an issue. Hmm. Um, I mean, that leads also to the advantage of Ethernet for us, which is centralization. You can put all of your AV stuff in a data closet. That's already cool. Hmm. But I'm wandering off topic now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But well, I you know, but, but what you did say something is you, you said something about that. Uh, you said, uh, talk, we're, we're really what we're talking about is infrastructure. And yeah. I know a lot of the themes of some of these shows is infrastructure, right? It's the network, baby. Who owns the platform? Um, but that actually leads us to one of our final stories of the show. Uh, from Installation International, Avixa, tracking the AV challenge in higher education. Now, interestingly, this article talks not so much about how to make educational teaching experiential, but how to acquire the data to make it work better. All right, I think that's sort of the subtext theme of this article. Maybe it wasn't so subtle, but I was reading it late at night, um, right? So they talk a lot about IoT and data collection and interaction, uh, acquisition and interpretation. Mike, what they talk a lot about is understanding and they give an example of, well, the data may tell you that there was a number of connections to the VGA and you think, oh, all these educators are old school and they're still using VGA and it's their beloved device. And they come to find out that well, something else happened. They all got new Airbooks or Mac whatevers, and it didn't have a connection in the wire bundle for that, so they reverted to what they know. I ask you about that. Is data acquisition on the AV system, whether that be digital signage or what else, is that actually becoming one of the essentials of our installation and, uh, and, and working function of the system, or, or are they really sort of blowing it out of proportion? No, I think, well, it's super important. I mean, you know, from my standpoint, as a design consultant, um, I want to be able to acquire all that data during my designs. And I actually take it back a step. You know, everybody loves to say, okay, can we jump into our fusion server and see how many hours we've used these rooms and that sort of thing. But I actually um, jump back. I work with a lot of, of schools and um, I, I, try to look at the root and talk to faculty and staff and really say, okay, what is it that you need in the beginning of the project? And I do a lot of uh, online surveys with uh, faculty and staff um, at institutions um, so that we can hear everybody's voice and find out what they really need in these classrooms rather than just jumping in head first, making a bunch of assumptions and designing classroom systems that, um, that nobody's really going to be using. So, um, which I think happens all the time, uh, high-level administrators at schools think that they want to throw a real flashy active learning classroom in so that they can bring by all the prospective students during tours, um, bring it by, and um, they'll take a look. But uh, if faculty don't want it or don't need it, um, no one's going to be using the room properly, no one's going to be teaching in there, and it's going to be a big waste of money. So I really try to spend a lot of time on the needs analysis. So yeah, that data is really important to me, but I really take it back to like the root of it um, and, and really pull faculty and staff in the beginning. Mm. That's a great point. And the story about the VGA use because nobody had a display port to HDMI adapter. It reminds me of the story that keeps getting passed around about the conference room that gets more heavily used for midday meetings because 
that's the one with a side table where people could set up lunch. <laughs> or they overutilized the one with a window because people like the view. And that point and this point can kind of say sometimes that data is not always knowledge. Hmm. And the numbers are great, but Mike makes a beautiful point that the numbers do not replace talking to people, interviewing people. Um, that initial discussion, what are you doing here? How do you teach? Um, pedagogy is not our area of expertise, but we enable pedagogy. Pedagogy? Pedagogy, there I you go. I probably pronounced it right at least once. <laughs> and we need to, we always get to talk to the facility director. We always get to talk to the IT director. They're important. We always talk to the people paying for it. We always talk to the people maintaining it. We need to talk to the dean and we need to talk to the teachers. And this 360 degree active learning you know, students can participate, students can collaborate. That's really neat. We need to make sure that that's how our particular clients are teaching. So on a, on a real quick question, because we're running out of time on the show, but I'll go to each of you real quick. Uh, Leonard, how, how dangerous is it to talk with the client about the data acquisition that is inherent to those systems? Not just you're going around doing it verbally, but the actual device is recording this information. Is there a concern? Is it great or not? There's always a concern, but I think it's become such a ubiquitous thing. Your cell phone tracks where you are. And if you have an Android phone, we just learned that even if you turn location services off, it tells Google every half hour or so oh, hey, um, Leonard is on Fifth Avenue and um, 42nd Street. Um, hey, Leonard is at Fifth Avenue and 50th Street. He just walked 10 blocks. So I hate to say this, but I think that we've come accustomed to being tracked like that. And in my world, in the corporate world, it's not that scary a discussion is your conference room being used the same way it would be for a residence? We're going to see how long you were watching television and when you were listening to music on your wireless speaker system. Hmm. I think that feels less personal. Hmm. And I've not gotten that pushback yet. The pushback so my I tend to get is we don't know what to do with this. We don't want to pay for it, and yeah, well, that's fading. Yeah. <laughs> pay for it. Mike, to your end, let's give you the final word on this. Um, in that education world, in you know, I know you do more than that, but you, you center on a lot of it. Is that a concern? Are they up in arms about it? Do we have the sort of legal professor and the philosophy professor saying this is wrong, or do they just not know about it and it's the administration keeping track? No, I don't, I don't think it's a major concern. I mean, you know, it's – the stats that we're gathering are pretty tame compared to what, uh, what could be out there. Um, and I think, 
the, the people that are really hungry for it in the education world are the bean counters. It's the, the director of finance. You know, when they, when we go and pitch a, uh, $180,000 active cl uh, learning classroom. And they say, well, what kind of numbers, what kind of stats do you have that people are actually using this or, um, mm. you know, want this? Um, or when we say to them, well, you used to install $7,000 classroom systems, but now we need to do $20,000 classroom systems because we need to put this new technology in. Um, those are the people that really want to see those numbers. Um, and, uh, and not, you know, faculty probably don't care. They, they know what they want and they want to see it in there, but, um, it's the finance people. Man. So, yeah. So know your numbers, but know what they mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, listen, that's all the time we have. We probably run over time, but it's my first show in a long time. So I want to thank our guests for joining me today on AV week. First off, Mike to uh, tell us people, uh, yeah, Mike to tell people where they can find out about, more about you and the work you do. Sure. They can find out uh, more about me on my website. It's tomeav.com. That's T-O-M-E-I-A-V.com. And um, people can always find me on LinkedIn. I love to talk shop with everybody. That's cool. And of course, Leonard, where can they find out more about you, what you do, and the work you're involved in? Well, I hang my hat these days at Spectra, as I said. That is spectra-ny.com on the interwebs. And you can always find me lurking about Twitter as at Kajurat, if you can spell that right in your first try. God bless you. <laughs> Otherwise, just look for Leonard Suskin. I am probably the only Leonard Suskin out there. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, again, I want to thank you for watching and for interacting with us. Whether you're at CDA right now or you watch the shows and talk to us at the various trades, we really appreciate your support. You can find more shows like this on all the verticals in the AV industry, from live production to marketing to residential and commercial, all at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thank you for watching. We hope to speak to you again very soon.